You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, that was a uh, special intro we had on today's show. Welcome everyone to Pre-Market Prep, Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick. Uh, we'll get some insights to who that was in a minute here. But uh, it's Analyst Week on Pre-Market Prep. It is the latest week of the year in terms of news. Uh, so we thought we'd get as many analysts as we could on the shows this week. Two are joining us this morning. Victor Anthony from Ages Capital will stop by at 8.15. And Michael Pachter from Wedbush Securities will stop by at 8.35. In the meantime, uh, some headlines. I mean, Tesla and AMD can't stop going up. We'll talk about that. Talk about the volatility from Friday's uh, session, the open specifically, uh, and volatility related to uh, options expiration that, that Dennis saw on Friday. And uh, we have some news from Sarepta, news from JD.com. And we'll take your questions from our chat if we have time. Uh, Joel, what's the word here overnight? Uh, we're in the green by six and a quarter handles here. Couldn't get much below that close at 25.75. Pre-market low, 24.75. So there's your key on the downside. Pre-market high, 34 and a quarter. Even I can't find any resistance in this market because there isn't any. Uh, crude trading up two cents at 60.46, hanging out over 60 for a couple days in a row. Gold bugs are happy. Gold's up 440 at 1485.40. Silver getting closer to 1750, up 14.6 cents. And even Bitcoin's in the green today, up $360 at 7590 Let's bring in Triple D. We got a lot to talk, but uh, Triple D, how about that introduction? That was really good, Spencer. I think you might be getting fired on your intro there. She did a pretty good job. She might be better than you. What are your thoughts, Spencer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was. I was. It was a good impression. It was. A, that, it was very good. That, one of our fair fans are of all ages. Lily from Ontario. Nice job, Lily. That was a great intro. Yep, and uh, I want to thank her and just the way she emphasize you know i will buy this stock for a penny she, yeah she said that better than me too i know so she's better than spencer and better than me like when you, <laughs> like when you go to uh like the dollar stores and stuff do people like do they come up to you and, and say will you buy that stock for a penny or they don't <laughs> i'm not allowed in the dollar stores remember oh that's right i forgot <laughs> oh no that's just value village i'm not allowed in value village <laughs> so you you called me friday and you were like omg you said that oh. open was one, and you've been trading 20 years, right? You said that was one of the craziest opens uh, ever, maybe? On Lily. On Lily. On, on, on Lily. And, and we're not talking the Lily, the intro. We're talking Lily, the stock. So it's a good segue here. So LLY, bring up the premar or bring up, just bring up the chart from Friday. And you'll see, you know, this little line. Actually, it doesn't even show it there, which it should show it. Um it opened there, and if you actually look at your chart, you'll see 137 was the high on Friday, and a lot of people think that maybe it was just a bad tick. It wasn't. The New York Stock Exchange opened 
on Eli Lilly up six bucks at 137. And if you were looking at the imbalances about 30 seconds, and I tweeted them out too. If you were looking at the opening imbalances about 30 seconds to a minute before the open, there were so many huge buy imbalances. So I'm just like, just in case those uh, stocks are going to open way high, which they look like they were going to, I threw out a bunch of orders, OPG orders, so only executing on the opening print if they open above my price. And I got executed on about 20 stocks. So I got quite a few off the open. Almost all were winners. None were as big as Lily. So I did get short that open on Lily at 137. I was in the trade for five seconds and I covered, I think, 131.75. So I made five points in five seconds on it. I mean, these are, you know, at Bright Trading, we take advantage of inefficiencies like this. When you have just simply, there was just too many buyers on the open and the DMM had to open the stock a, a lot higher to get the offsetting interest. And I'm willing to sell it. So, you know, when you're, it's not like you have to just say, oh, 137. You market OPG, you could, I think my order is probably sitting out there like 133 and a half short. I get the price improvement though, because the whole opening print is 137. So I get the 137 open, stock comes in immediately. Um, like, I mean, within seconds, and you can see on the chart, like I don't even know why the trade station shows not even it's showing It's not that even print. showing that ticket. It exists. It's, it opened at 137. It's showing on my platform. Yeah, I got it too. I don't know why it's not showing it there, but whether you can see it there. Yeah, so I don't know why it wasn't showing so, it there. I think they were trying to like, was that a real print? It was, it opened at 137, huge. But it wasn't just that stock. It was a number of stocks. Now it wasn't like Lily, uh, this one opened more than any of them, but you know, we had a day that oil was trading down. ExxonMobil opened up 50 cents. Schlumberger opened up, I believe, 50 cents on it. So, you know, when you're seeing oil stocks open up 1% on a, oil, on a stock that's trading down, on a, a day that oil was trading down at the open, there's an opportunity there too. So I got short ExxonMobil. I got short Schlumberger. Again, uh, these stocks immediately came in. Uh, what was interesting was I got short some defensive stocks too. Like look at Verizon and you can see the tick on Verizon as well right on the open. Uh, that thing opened up over a buck and it came in a bed, but then it started to find a bed and then it didn't come in that much at all. Coke as well. Coke opened up about 50 cents, which is a huge move for Coke, but it didn't come in that much either. So I think you just had so many opening traders that were maybe short that some of these stocks didn't have that good of a chance to come in. This trade was almost crowded probably with a lot of you know, people who potentially got short that opening print. So some of them didn't come in as well as you would have thought, but the lily came right in. So you know, there's opportunities there. Was it really five seconds? Yeah, five seconds. I, I, I looked at it. So it was, it was five. I was in the trade five seconds. I made five points in five seconds on Eli Lilly. And it was no news on the stock. That was just an inefficient opening. How did they open it up You there? do not see this happen very often. It, if, if these opens do happen, it's often on a quadruple witch. So you might as well, you know, be prepared for it just in case it does happen. And I was just looking at the imbalances. The imbalances were so big, Joel. The opening imbalances, we talk about this on the show and, you know, obviously we're going to do some educational stuff um, and we're, that we're talking about putting together where we'll go and dive into details on this stuff. But, you know, we talk about it on the show and the people who've been listening for a long time kind of understand. You have the opening imbalances that publish at 8 a.m. on the New York Stock Exchange 928 on NASDAQ. What these imbalances do is it shows you what the opening interest is. So if a stock has 10,000 to buy, we talk about it all the time, it means there's 10,000 shares to buy more than sell relative to the close. The close, yep. Relative to the closing price. The Eli Lilly and some of the imbalances are so large, they actually do projected opening prices. Like if I bring them up right now and look, you know, and today's a nothing burger day, there's nothing really happening. But if I bring up Eli Lilly right now, I have 95 shares to sell. So literally just well, like just under 100 shares with an opening projected price on New York right now, 132.20. So they've already, they're already projecting the opening. But I mean, this is going to change so much because there's going to be all these orders that come in. So you can't even look at projected openings until you're about 30 seconds before the open. But the projected openings on these stocks were so high that I was looking at a bunch of stocks and the projected openings were like $4,294 a share on a whole pile of stocks. Uh, I've never seen them that big because I think there was, it was the same price on multiple stocks. I didn't know there was a maximum price on a projected opening, and I think there is, because I don't know why there was so many. If somebody can verify that out there, let me know. But on NYSE, I wonder if there's a maximum price on a projected opening. I mean, we've never seen a stock oh. open up that much, and they never will, because the offsetting interest will come in. But that just shows you how many people were trying to buy at the open. And Christian Fromhertz was saying, obviously we had the, uh, the, the S&P role. So, you know, there was, some, uh, there was some SBX. There was some, you know, obviously a big imbalance there as well. So there was just a lot of buying 
pressure at the open. We saw the S&P futures rally about 10 points the two to three minutes before the open as well, just because the stocks were going to open so high. Do you, ah, man, do you think that the sellers came in just because they saw, I mean, you know, to have old buyers and then old sellers, do you think people were just like, oh my God, you know, new high by Lily by sell, 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 sell? Yeah, I think I think people are all over it immediately. I, I, if you go look at the opening tick, I think it probably opened there. I mean, I can just go bring it up quickly. I, I don't think uh, if, you, if I show my screen, but I'm not allowed to show my screen compliance issues. Um, I don't know if you had. Do you have the time and sales windows on your platform? Um, Let me just see here if I can just go and see it. I never actually looked at what the time and sales were. So if I go, we'll go from like nine o'clock to like. I'm just going to quickly look just manually here. Nine. We're going like 9.35 or 9.40, so I know. It could open a little few minutes after. So I'm going back to yesterday's, to Friday's trade. And I'm just looking. So it opened at, yeah. So it was trading up. It, it was at 9.30.00. It was trading at 132.5. But the New York Stock Exchange didn't get it open on time because it was so much uh, buying interest. So you actually saw the pre-market, then they're starting to buy it up because people are realizing, oh, this is going to open way too high. So they buy it up to 132.96, 133.16. It actually traded up to like 133.5, up another buck ahead of that opening print because there's smart traders that are seeing this is going to open way high. And then boom, it opens at 137. The next tick after 137 was 132.81. So the next tick was almost you know, four and a half points down. $4.19 down from that tick. Then it traded in the 133s for a few seconds, and then it was down the 132 handle, and then down the 131 handle. And I saw so it opened, Lily, 918,000 shares was the opening print, which is just enormous for $137 stock like Eli Lily on no news. It opened at 931.05, so exactly a minute and a half, or a minute and, or 65 seconds after 930. So I took the DMM obviously an extra minute to get that open because the offsetting you know, interest just wasn't there. And then I covered, I believe, five seconds exactly later, 931.10, um, somewhere in there, 931. So I'm a bunch of those little trades there in there, 931.10. Um, there's a lot of little hundreds and stuff because it's like boom, 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 boom. But um, anyway, so yeah, it was uh, uh, five points in five seconds. Wow. All right, uh, let's cover, uh, we got a couple big movers here. Let's cover those before our 815 guest. Where do you want to go? You want to go Tesla or Sarepta? Let's go to Sarepta. It pulled back a little bit there. We had it pulled back, and now we get more news, and it takes off again. Yep, the news this morning, they announced a partnership with Roche uh, in territories outside the U.S. for a gene therapy drug. Sarepta will, will receive 1.15 billion dollars up front and up to 1.7 billion dollars in milestones related to drug sales it really popped up this morning and it is already up. peeling back from those highs i mean i saw this in the 140s 140 well into the 140 how high 148.50 wowzers okay so if you're coming in at six o'clock in the morning and paying up 20 points for Sarepta, because they got to deal with Roche, this is a good way to lose 10 points immediately, 12 points, because now it's trading only up 10 bucks. It's good news. The stock is trading higher. But again, people just overexcited, maybe too early in the morning, not a lot of liquidity there. Stock obviously had the big pop off the good news there five days ago, and then kind of pulled back in a little bit, consolidated a couple days. Now we get more good news. I'm just going to say, let's see what it does at the high from that day, the day after the good drug news, 138.79. I'm going back to the 13th. Yep. That's the level that this, you know, if you are saying this is, you know, not going to break out again, or you're playing it from the short side, I would not want to see it above that. If I was playing it from the short side, I'm not. Um, if you're long, you want to see it take out that 138.79. Yep. You do not want to see that 138.79 hold because the next day the high was 137.73. So you have two highs within a buck of each other on a really wild stock that sometimes has a dollar spread. So you could almost call that a little mini double top. Needs to take that out. If you're long, you want, you've got to see that take that out. If it doesn't, then you start thinking, well, I could give back a lot of this. Yeah, exactly. It got that big print early. You had to be up early. Uh, Man, I don't think a lot of didn't much volume trade when it went up there. Let me take a look. Pretty early, yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised. No, if it not was like much. This, it not was much volume at yeah. all. I I was looking at the chart and I would just say you want to get back up to that high from the uh, 
the date was the 13th, 13879. So nice pop there to see what happens. You want, you know, getting 140, you know, getting a handle, make sure it clears it if you want to, uh, if you want to play that from the long side. Since making that high, you got down to 133. And that's just based on the 15 minute chart. If you're looking for some support on the downside, that's what you have so far. And then the other news, uh, if you're going just this morning, um, we got multiple headlines, but I, I think we got to take it to Tesla. Will it stop going up ever? Will no, ever? I don't know. It, it stopped going up on Friday briefly. Um, that actually looked like, a, you know, we saw it up on Friday and it came right in. So that actually looked to me like maybe that's going to be the reversal day, but now it gets right back up there again today. So I'm just going to say that 413 has significant relevance. We are slightly above there in the pre-market right now, but we still have an hour and 15 minutes before we open. Correct. If the 413 can hold, you shorts have hope. If they take that out, then we're going to see 420 here coming soon. Just just so it well goes to 420. I mean, that's it. Uh, it almost looks like it wants to. We said that on Friday, though, and it pulled right back. So I could you know see the 413 being significant here. So let's see where it opens. Opens below 413, you know, kind of holds there and then starts to leak a bit, then I'd be concerned about a potential double top. But if you're trying to play Tesla from the short side, I would wait till you have like a little double top and plays like two highs same day in a row. Not looking swing trader style. We're day traders, most of us here. So you get two days in a row where you have a high in the same area, then you have a level you can lean on. But right now to play this on the short, you're just trying to stop a rocket ship. So you got to wait until you actually have you know, two highs in the same area because this has just been going up for days and days and days. And Spencer asked a very relevant question. Will it ever stop going up? It'll stop going up when the shorts are all squeezed out. <laughs> That's a lot of them to squeeze. Uh, all right, 8.15, let's bring on our first guest of the day, Victor Anthony. He is a uh, managing director and equity analyst at Aegis Capital. Victor, good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. I can hear you fine. How's it going this morning? Good, good. Uh, Want to start, start off with this news from last week, Victor. Uh, we know you cover IAC and Match and that, that space. Uh, the headline from last week that IAC and Match are going to separate. IAC receiving $3 per share as part of that uh, separation transaction. Uh, what are your thoughts on that deal? Well, I mean, they, they add essentially early in the year predicted that they would have announced a match spin because investors have been asking for that. Um, they made the announcement on the third quarter call. Uh, but this, the news last week was more of a kind of a formal announcement okay. uh, with the separation day and they, you know, um, had to put out their formal documents this morning as well. So um, investors have been calling for it. You know, um, it would provide a lot more liquidity for match group. There was a certain um, group of investors because of liquidity issues, they couldn't buy the stock. And so, um, you know, I think it's a good thing. And what about like longer term here for either of these names? Is there a particular catalyst you see for either of them in the next year or so? Yeah, for if you look at just you know um, Match Group itself, you know it's more just driven by Tinder, and all the data I'm, I've been looking at throughout the quarter has shown that Tinder growth just continues unabated. So uh, Tinder will continue to drive the valuation of the stock, and I think you'll see have healthy EBITDA growth. You know, X, uh, the legal costs and the spin costs uh, next year, and there's other new investments that they're making. There's also um, live video, which is uh, which could be a multi-billion dollar opportunity for them over the next several years. So fundamentally, Match Group uh, looks solid. I do think that there will be some consolidation um, in the space, though. So just in 2019, this year, there were three material events that occurred in the online data space. One was uh, uh, Facebook, you know, launching Facebook data in, um, clearly the spin that we just talked about, as well as uh, Blackstone uh, taking an investment in Bumble's parent, Magic Lab, for a reported $3 billion valuation. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the space, um, even if Match is just dealing with the whole spin scenario, post that spin scenario in uh, the second half. I think they'll look to acquire assets. I think Meat Group, by the way, will probably be the target of that consolidation first. And uh, for IAC, it's going to be um, – uh, Vimeo, the growth is solid. They made the announcement of um, Care.com, which I think could ultimately be a home run acquisition for them. I think they'll be buying back stock. And, um, the, you know, the applications business has uh, some legs. And so um, I'm positive on both names um, as we head into 2020. 
When you say that you think they're going to buy back stock, can you offer like any insight as to like when a company announces a buyback, like the the time frame or like how they go about doing that? Because buybacks, we see a new buyback every day, basically. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of of, um, of buybacks. If you believe your stock is undervalued, then you use the cash balance to to buy back. And um, and most companies they'll just do it opportunistically. Um, some have you know scheduled buybacks in place where they do it you know almost on a weekly basis. Uh, but it's, it's up to the individual companies where they are in in in, in the stages and where they believe you know what they believe their stock is worth. I want to move on and ask you about Twitter here. Uh, Victor uh, still hasn't recovered from that earnings report or post-earnings sell-off here. Give us your thoughts on, on, on Twitter as we – it seems like it's it's ending the year on, on a bit of a, a sour note. Yeah, which is unfortunate because I, you know, I love Twitter as a product, and I use it day in and day out. Um, but, you know, they cited um, adverse seasonality and a few bugs in the mobile application promotion um, which I don't think they've solved it yet. So um, that's still a headwind for them in the fourth quarter. But look, so the traffic data has been extremely positive in the fourth quarter. So people are still using the app. I think they report strong traffic growth. And there's a lot of areas of potential upside. And just to be clear, I have a hold on the stock. But I do think um, you know, the continued health and safety efforts should drive greater engagement on the platform. I think there's still runway for them to increase ad loads in, on the international properties. Um, I think there's... Um, there's minimal exposure to, to direct response advertisers compared to Facebook, which, you know, I just view that as an opportunity for them to increase the advertiser base and then drive up on pricing on the platform. And, uh, and they should see a small benefit from, uh, um, um, I used to think it was a U.S. election, but they pulled out of that, you know, um, political spend. But it's more for, there's the Euro Cup and there's the World Cup and the Summer Olympics. And they're just overall um, improvements in measurement. So it's not all doom and gloom. You know, I think they'll have to prove to investors that they're, that they could solve this, um, you know, so-called bug in the mobile application product uh, that affected the ability to target ads and share data with the management partners. If they could show that, then I think the stock could continue to work. But for right now, I have no visibility into that, which is why I have a hold on the stock. Twitter's decision to uh, stop the political ads, how much of the material impact would that have on the business? It's not. I mean, I mean, you know, um, they've given numbers in the past, and they've been in you know, low single millions. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a big deal for them. I actually believe that you know Facebook should should actually go that route. So I actually believe um, Jack Dorsey did the right thing. I mean, it's just um, by pulling those ads. I think Facebook should follow. I think it would solve you know just about all the problems that they have from a political perspective. Not all of them, but most of them. And um, if they would just pull up, I mean, if they I mean, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg was saying that uh, Twitter ads uh, is just a small, tiny percentage of the overall um, advertising um, on the platform. Then, um, you know, why deal with all the controversy? Just pull the ads. We're on the line with Victor. Or fact check them. So. <laughs> well, that'd be difficult. We're on the line with Victor Anthony, Managing Director and Equity Analyst at Aegis Capital. What You mentioned Jack there. What about Jack? I mean, he's what's he doing in Africa? Is he running this company? He has two companies. I think maybe is that something that's holding back Twitter? You know, are we gonna wake up one day and Jack's gonna be out? They're gonna bring someone in. I don't know from where. And also, like, oh, I should have bought the stock at thirty-two. It's at thirty-seven. Do you think? Do you think the problems with uh, Twitter start at the top? No, I think there were a lot of concerns that he was running two separate companies um, several years ago. Um, certain group of investors wanted him to choose one or the other. Um, I have to admit, I was um, one of the software analysts who believed that he probably should have chosen, chosen one. But he stuck with both, and you know, you know, both have improved significantly over the past several years, absent this one you know, bug in the, in the third quarter. So um, operationally, I think the business is um, operated quite fine with him being at the helm of both businesses. Um, now, he's in Africa, and you know, there are some investors who are concerned that you know, how could a CEO you know, um, run two companies if he's in Africa for six months? But, you know, I think he's thinking more longer term. Um, my view, I think um, following India's footsteps, I think Africa comes into focus for the large um, U.S. and Chinese internet platforms over the next several years. And I think that it'll be a strong area of focus for these platforms, given the fact that, you know, some of the data I've seen um, have shown that um, um, in the, over the next several decades, some of the African countries will represent um, in terms of population, the top five in terms of population um, across the globe. So it's enormous growth. I think there's, um, 
there's opportunity around internet access, payments, commerce, and image via advertising. So I think it's just getting ahead of that longer term. And I expect um, other internet companies will follow. I don't think they'll CEOs will spend six months there, but I think you'll probably see some increased focus in Africa. So um, that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, I don't really see it as much of a negative. I do think the CFO will have to step up and take more of an operational role. Operational. It seems like it's a better, a better, uh, a more relevant move for Square than for Twitter, but I guess we'll see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for, you're right. You make a good point. Uh, but longer term, I mean, it could clearly help Twitter as well. So, uh, Victor, I want to get your thoughts before I let you go on Netflix. You have a hold on on the stock, uh, so you're, so you're not bullish or bearish. You're just neutral right now. Is that right? I'm neutral in the stock. You know, I. Um, you know, I've had several concerns uh, about competition, which is, I think, will be um, the new competition coming into the market. I think over the next six months, I think 2020, you'll see um, all of the different options launch. Uh, but I believe, perhaps not near term, but longer term, I think that could pressure for subscriber growth. And just to be clear, I'm actually I've been looking at data on usage on uh, Netflix, um, even with the interest of Disney Plus, I haven't really seen usage pull back. So um, not a near-term thing, but I think longer term, with all these different options, I think you'll, you'll see pressure on subscriber growth in the U.S. and ultimately in uh, the international. But that's not all. That's not all. There's loss of premium second-run content. I think that could lead to churn. Um, you know, I think while management noted that they can take price if they continue to deliver great quality content, um, you know, I, I think the price of power is essentially gone in the domestic market. Um, I think it's almost impossible for them to raise price significantly in the, in the U.S. market. Uh, they could pull, um, get away with it some of the international markets, but I think that could run its cost. So price and um, power in the model is starting to disappear. Um, and it's clear, I think, now that to everyone that Netflix is a hit-driven business. And I think maybe it should be um, viewed as such from a valuation perspective, like other media companies. And so um, if you look at it that way, then you know the multiple that you use to value the stock comes down, comes down dramatically. And of course... The cash burn, um, you know, remains an issue and a concern um, for me. So, um, those are the reasons why that uh, um, a matter hold. What did uh, What did you think of the Irishman? I, I liked it. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of all three stars. Um, you know, I grew up with those guys watching them. Yep. Um, it was great. Um, great. Um, it was a little bit too long for my taste, but um, yeah, I think it was. A yeah. bit, I was a little. I, I was a little disappointed. But, oh, you uh, were okay. Yeah, yeah, I give it a B. You give it a B. Okay, I may give it a B plus. Okay. Okay. So, um, but <laughs> one one thing though, I mean, the timing of it though, just kept a lot of people on the platform. So, um, the buzz around the Irishman, I think, was great optically for uh, for Netflix and um, everyone. When I looked at Facebook, was um, was watching it. So. All right, Victor Anthony, Managing Director and Equity Analyst at Ages Capital. Victor, have a great rest of your year. Happy holidays, and we'll, we'll talk to you again in the new year. Same here, guys. Take care. Enjoy the holidays. All right, thank you. All right, All right 826, uh, 27 now, Joel. Yeah, we're just hanging out here uh, near the highs of the session, 34 and a quarter. Uh, that's your pre-market high. We're just kind of quiet up, 675. Uh, I guess we got uh, we got some China news too. Did we discuss that at the top of the show? Well, we talked Tesla about. Oh, oh you're referring to the tariffs. Yes. Yes. Uh, so China is removing uh, tariffs starting next year. They're going to uh, January first. Actually, they're re reducing tariffs on more than 850 goods, including frozen pork and uh, some tech uh, components as well. So, and also we we talked Tesla. We didn't talk. The Tesla news this morning that they are getting a loan. They're borrowing $1.4 billion from the Chinese banks for their Shanghai factory. So a few different China headlines this morning. Uh, Tesla, uh, someone was talking, Texas Linda said she got in Friday and, and Tesla on the decline. I would just wonder if they're, I don't know what the op option volume is and like, but like the 400 calls, you might have had some people bounce right that, off there. Yeah, some people that were a little bit nervous, you know, on that. Maybe the long sold off, and the people were short and were like, "Man, I got to bring this in." So I think I don't know what the volume is, but that that could have been a little bit of the pinning action on Friday uh, in Tesla. What are you seeing out there, Triple D? Anything? Uh, the only thing I'll say, you know, you're seeing a nice rally in the S and P's here, but we kind of saw on Friday, and if we just go back, sometimes history tends to repeat itself. Where Friday. 
we opened very strong. We talked with that opening, and a lot of that was to do, you know, with some imbalances. And then we had a little pop in the afternoon as well. I'm just going back to Friday's trade, but um, overall, it we kind of closed weak. Um, not not that it was terribly weak, but there were some stocks that were, you know, actually getting sold off at the end. A lot of this has to do with quad, which and options uh, institutions balance, you know obviously jockeying the stock positions against the options, which we talk about. But my one only concern is Friday's high on the SPY, go out there, 321.97. We're 321.80. We're going to open up right into Friday's high. So if you want to play from the short side, um, I'd say that's your lean. You're looking at, you know, you're opening in yesterday's high. It's not a bad setup. Uh, just trying to short the open and see, hey, maybe this is going to be another one of those instances where everybody's side with the terrace and we just you know, turn around and sell off. So I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying you have an out. So I, I'm neutral right now, and I'm obviously still long in my long-term portfolio. So I'm not like saying I, there's a lot of weight in this. I'm just saying there's a setup here where we're opening into Friday's high. And if you want to try from the short side, you got yourself an out. You start taking out you know, the high from Friday on the SPY, then you, you cover. What are your thoughts there? Um, I you see what I'm looking the, at. Yeah, I see what you're looking at, and the only thing is, is that um, well, first of all, the spoos are above that above Friday's high, right? So, but the roll makes with that the roll and that the, the X dividend, the X dividend too. Yeah, that that's why. You know, that's it, and uh, spinners happen in there too. So, you know, you tack on what the dividend was on. Yeah, on but they that. don't do that. I know they, they don't. Yeah. I know they don't. But I, I'm just, I, I'm just looking at it from that perspective. So that we're trading the SPs above the high. But no, you're right. I mean, it's a lean, and these expirations mark turning points a lot of times in the market. You know, whether it's just a continuation of the trend, which has been, or you know, the old, the old turn. And right now, I mean, we're trading up. There could be a turn, maybe within the next day or two, but. Right now, I mean, it's just it's just so hard. To it's find. hard to real. I'm not saying get bearish and get short. I'm saying for you day traders out there, there's no, it's not a bad setup when you open into the previous day's high. I kind of trade those sometimes, and I might try from the short side just off the open. If it, you know, we take out the highs, like you come in there. Let's say you get short here at three twenty one seventy nine, and and we open right around here. We take out the three. Give yourself ten twenty cents. You know, take out the three twenty two, three twenty two ten. Okay, well we're making new highs. I'm going to cover. But sometimes you just see these instances where it turns. And a lot of times you see highs put in on option expiration days. Like on Lily, you know, when you saw that thing open up at 137, that's going to be a strong number for a long oh. time now on Lily. It's a ways away from there. But, you know, we really never even touched up to there. So there is just a major resistance point for you there now. Um, a lot of times you see this washout. It felt like almost like upside capitulation Friday morning because it was so much buying pressure into that open. And that's why, you know, sometimes you see these things turn on those days. We've seen in the past, remember biotech, like five years ago, Joel, I think it was four or five years ago, when all the biotech stocks on that quad witch opened up like significantly, and that was the all time high in the biotechs. So I'm not saying that's gonna happen here. Scenario. I'm saying, you know, there's a chance. There's a chance that not gonna be the all time high, but there's a chance you could peel off. You could peel off a bit from there, and maybe you know they get some people that bought that you know open on Friday, and now you know they get a shot to get back out of it here this morning. Maybe they're saying eh, maybe it will lighten up a little bit. But seasonality is totally in your favor. I mean, here we are. We're coming into you know, obviously we're coming into the Santa Claus rally from the Stock Traders Almanac, which is the first when people get this wrong, but it's the last five days of the trading year and the first two days of January. And that typically, you know, shows some strength. That's obviously indicative too of what, you know, it's going to be going, going forward. But I mean, there's reason to be a little cautious here. I'll just say that. If I was like fully on margined invested right now, I'd maybe think lighten up a bit. All right, I got some news here for you guys. Diamond Eagle Acquisition Corp, D-E-A-C. If you don't know it, that's okay. You don't have to know it because they will be changing their name next year as part of a deal announced this morning. They have acquired uh, DraftKings, the daily fantasy website. Their, DraftKings is, is, is going to be going public through uh, Diamond Eagle here. Diamond Eagle has acquired them. They're going to change the name. Uh, of the company to DraftKings, and this is now, I guess, a play on gambling. So DEAC. Huh. 
these these acquisition corps are always weird. They trade at ten dollars forever, and then they did something here, so it's trading up. Um, and this is this stuff's hard to trade. Dennis, did you see TSG? Oh, I meant to oh, tell, talk to you guys about that last what? week. What happened with TSG? Oh, it keeps running because uh, because it's getting taken right. over, but it's for stock, so it's the European company. I don't even remember. I've sold it already. Who was yeah. the one company that was taking it over? We had had all our money back, Joe. We should have waited. <laughs> Look the, at that. Did you the, sell too? Did you sell on the the day it got taken over? Yeah, I'm like, oh, 22 is 20. I, wasn't bad considering how much we were down in it. Man. But they that, but it's trading by, off uh, of the. What was the name of the European company, Spencer? Uh, Flutter. Yeah, and it trades over in Europe. So obviously, and it was a stock deal. So obviously, Flutter has been fluttering higher. It must have. I don't have the ticker symbol for Flutter <laughs> over great. here, but. That's great. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to you, Dennis. It's uh, PDYPY. PDYPY. He is in dog. PDPD. Me and Joel can't get those. Too many letters. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. We're too old. When's the deal final? I want that stock off my board here. They want to keep looking at it go oh, higher man. and say, man, we would have had all our money back. Oh. This goes to show you don't sell a loss, right, Joel? <laughs> you should have bought more on that. More, yeah, be a oh, moron. Lord, look Put at more that. On that losing position. Too. I remember I let it hang out a couple days, too. I didn't, uh, you know, I said, oh, we'll see what happens, but it didn't seem like anyone else would come in at a, at a higher price. But yeah. No, well, it was a stock deal. So stock goes up, you're going up. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the stock deals, they continue to trade off of the leader. I mean, Celgene and Bristol Myers is the same thing. Bristol Myers in the gutter after that deal. And Bristol Myers came back and look where Celgene ends up going off the board, like one tenth. Yeah. Cause stock Bristol Myers was a half, half of it was in stock. And you got one share of Bristol Myers. Bristol Myers climbs from $43 to six. <laughs> Next for 17 points on your cell gene takeout. All right, uh, 8.35 here. Let's bring on our second guest of the day, Michael Pachter, Senior Equity Analyst at Wedbush Securities. Michael, good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, I hope you're awake. I, I understand you flew in from Hawaii yesterday. Is I that- did, yeah. I went to bed about six hours ago. I'm okay. I apologize for waking you so early, but thank you for uh, yeah. for, for joining us. Wait, so you were in Hawaii and you came back this week? To, to be on our show. Wow. Precisely. Thank you very much. Boy, oh boy. We appreciate and, and, and happy Hanukkah, both of you guys. Uh, we actually celebrate Christmas, but we came back for holidays. Came back for Hanukkah. I like it. Uh, Michael, I want us to thank you very much, by the way. Happy holidays to you, too. I want to start you off with uh, Best Buy here. This one, you've got a hold, uh, I believe, and this one is just broken out. So give us your thoughts here on BBY. Um, you know, the, you've got a management team that's done everything right, I think, in the face of imminent doom. And they've managed to kind of pull themselves off the cliff and step back and reassess. Um, they are determined to be the last man standing in electronics retail. And so far, you know, Amazon through, through their good graces has allowed Best Buy to live. Amazon's got bigger fish to fry and, and they're kind of beyond their putting companies out of business phase. Um, but the truth is, you know, the only people who really shop at Best Buy are people who are either uncomfortable with shopping online or because they, they you know feel that their privacy may be violated or they don't understand how to access the internet, or uh, people who truly need the help um, that Best Buy provides to install what Best Buy purports you know, are, are complicated consumer electronics devices. The fact is pretty much everything now is kind of one click away from working. You know, it's obvious where you plug your TV in and obvious how to turn on a remote. But, you know, a lot of people need help. So Best Buy has really shifted its focus to very aged people. Uh, They have something called Great Call, which is kind of a, you know, help old people inside their homes who are kind of shut-ins and and need lots of of, uh, support. And they're really going hard on a, a... uh, an annual plan for people to provide you with all of your technology needs is a couple hundred bucks. It's shocking to me. They have, you know, over a million subscribers, but there are people who truly think it's worth 200 bucks a year to have Best Buy come in and install televisions and, you know, make sure when your when your Christmas lights go out that you push the uh, GFI on your wall socket. I mean, things that people just don't know how to do apparently. 
and they're thriving. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. I think that older people are going to die out and they're going to be replaced by younger people who grew up with all these electronics and know how to, how to do everything themselves. And I frankly think Best Buy is on a slow march to extinction, but um, for the time being, they're thriving. For the time being, you know, they're, they're really, really doing well with older people. I don't think anybody under 30 would even consider going into a Best Buy for the rest of their lives, but we'll see if that changes when they get old and infirm. I will say I, I went to Best Buy. I've been to, I've been to Best Buy in the last twelve months. I think I was, yeah, but you you're still under thirty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so how do you approach the stock here? I mean, new all time highs. Yeah, you know, it's trading at a pretty close to a market multiple. I mean, it's it's trading at about a thirteen or fourteen multiple, and I think the the street thinks that means it's it's declining, you know, barely. And I think the street is probably right for the next year or so and wrong if we ever get into a recession or we get into a price war where Walmart and uh, Amazon start slugging it out for every last customer. Um, I, I just don't think Best Buy's cost structure allows it to compete effectively with Amazon. And, you know, ultimately, I think that people stop buying iPhone branded power cords and start buying Amazon basics power cords. And I think Best Buy loses its, its, you know, impulse purchase, um, high margin accessory business, and they have to compete on low margin commodity televisions. And I don't think that's a winning formula. So long term, I don't like it at all. Near term, I think it's probably fairly valued. I don't see how it keeps going up. Uh, we should move on here. I want to ask about the uh, gaming stocks, uh, Michael. I don't know if you uh, are. I don't know if you heard the news about uh, DraftKings this morning, and if you have a comment on that. But you, you're a follower of the space, and so of all the stocks in, in your gaming coverage, who do you like the most? Who do you like the least? You know, you you guys said something about DraftKings. You you said something about the you used the word gambling, and. I know a lot of people perceive that to be gambling, and I understand that you know regulators may look at it that way. the The fact is that DraftKings exists because it's actually positioned as you know offering people the opportunity to practice their skills against others. Everybody has you know the ability to build their draft team, and you pay different prices for different players. But you know you're you're it's a skill based game. You know, you're not just betting on the Cowboys to lose or win, right, you know, against right, the right, Eagles. Right. You're you're saying that my players are going to outperform your players and, and you get to, you know, to, to draft your team, to craft the, the lineup that you think is the best. So that is actually considered a game of skill in 47 of the 50 U.S. states. And, you know, that's why I think it's got a chance of thriving. Um, the problem is, you know, that we don't really know how many people want to play that. We know there's something like 30 million people play, you know, in, in NCAA basketball pools and, and fantasy sports. But we don't really know how many of those people are willing to wager their skills against other, other people's skills. And so these companies have tended to spend more than their revenues to attract new users. And you remember the, the Super Bowl ad blitz a few years ago between these guys and FanDuel. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they're going to probably find equilibrium and find a place where they can be pretty profitable. And they have to kind of avoid, you know, cheaters who, who end up, you know, there are people internal at some of these companies that were looking at the results and kind of looking where there were skewed rosters and kind of then playing the roster that was under underplayed. Um, you've got to make sure that everybody's got an equal playing field, but I actually think they probably have a chance of making it. Um, I think that it's an interesting business. I think people like to kind of throw a couple of bucks out there and see if they can beat, you know, their friends in, in on who it's, it's exactly like fantasy sports. And uh, I actually think they're probably going to end up being profitable and thriving. I mean, yeah, it, it is fantasy sports. I, I, I meant, I guess I meant gambling in the sense that it's the same kind of audience, maybe same, same uh, addressable market than, than that would be. Um, but you're right. It is, it, it has been, been, uh, uh, qualified as a game of skill under the eyes of the law. We know they went through a couple, uh, their fair share of legal headaches as a, as a result of the ad blitz a couple years ago. But back to the, uh, back to the just the gaming sector here, uh, video games. We're talking about now, Michael, of 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 the stocks in your coverage, there, who do you like most? Who do you like the least? Um, you know, they're they're on a on on the 
edge of really thriving all of them. So um, I think that people don't really quite understand the model that Google has offered with Stadia. And I think Google's not going to going to win. I, I think Google's just started something that others are going to emulate. But you're about to see a giant step up in distribution of games. And with Stadia, Google's offering you a subscription to play games without a console. And the importance there is without a console. So Google is eliminating the requirement that people who want to play games on their television have to purchase a you know somewhere between $250 and $500 console. And that means that you can buy 250 to $500 more worth of software of games. Um, now, their model's terrible. It's $10 a month, and nobody's going to do it. But I think that Microsoft, Sony, and Amazon are going to compete, and they're probably going to offer a, a close-to-free service, uh, maybe 30 to 50 bucks a year just for the online multiplayer component. And I think that's going to work. I think you're going to end up with tens of millions of new players uh, and especially you're going to get an acceleration of the late adopters who buy consoles in year five, six, seven are going to start streaming in years two, three, and four. And so you're going to compress the normal console cycle into the first part of the 2020s. You're going to probably expand the market by six to 10 X and they're not going to buy six to 10 times as many games, but they're going to buy twice as many games. And I think all the publishers thrive. I think that they get very, very you know, large increases in sales, literally probably 10% per year growth for the next seven to 10 years, and super high margins. Uh, those are going to come in at north of 50% contribution margin. So I like them all. Um, but the, you know, the standouts for me, I think Activision is probably better positioned than anybody to thrive because they own all their IP. Um, I would say Nintendo is best positioned because they own all its, their own IP as well, but they don't tend to adopt technology quickly. Um, they're just figuring out multiplayer gaming now, which is literally 15 years after it was invented. And you know, so it's hard to say that they're going to thrive. They've got the kind of business that lends itself to an Apple Arcade model where you pay five bucks a month and you can play all the Nintendo games you want on your phone. They just have to figure out that that's a good deal. Um, they haven't yet figured that out. Of the publishers, you know, Activision, EA, Take-Two, Ubisoft are all going to do super well in the streaming war. Um, over the near term, EA's got a hole in its portfolio, so it's, it's got a challenge to grow in the next year. Activision doesn't. They're going to do really, really well. Um, Take-Two is you know, pretty close to the vest about what's coming out, so they haven't told anybody anything. If they don't announce something soon, they might have a big hole in their portfolio next year, and we're guessing. Um, I actually think they've got a lot of stuff, so I, I don't hate them as much as maybe others do. But uh, again, they're all going to thrive when people realize how big streaming is. You need Sony, Microsoft, and Amazon to announce streaming services. They will all probably announce those by year-end 2020. So I think a year from now, you're going to see all these stocks meaningfully higher. Activision, my top pick. Nobody, no, I don't really hate any of them, though. We're on the line with Michael Pachter, equity analyst for Wed Bush Securities. Uh, we'll throw a tougher one at you here. Uh, GameStop. Uh, Michael Burry got involved, had a beautiful run, and then I, I didn't really look at it after earnings, but they bought that thing up and uh, got a little triple top here at six and a quarter. Talk to us about uh, the future for GameStop. Well, Michael Burry's right. Um, they generate a lot of cash, and, and their core earnings are pretty close to flat. Um, you know, I think they're guiding uh, uh, five cents or ten cents or something of earnings. So they're, they're flat earnings. They're making money on kind of restructuring the company, um, harvesting inventory, and, and truthfully, they don't need as much inventory as they have built. Um, so they're generating cash from that, a couple hundred million dollars. Um, they owe about four hundred million in debt, and and their net debt is is pretty close to zero. But they owe about four hundred million in debt. They've got to pay it down. Um, the cash flow will get them out of debt in two years if they want to be. And then the excess cash they generate should go to share repurchases. They're down to under 70 million shares. I mean, these guys had uh, 140 million a couple of years ago. So they have under 70 million shares at $7. You know, they're, they're at 500 million market cap. And they're going to spend 200 million a year buying back stock. 
So truthfully, the equity should should probably go up by about that, and I think he's right. Um, the bet that the shorts made was that these guys would go out of business before new consoles launched and or new consoles wouldn't have disk drives and wouldn't play physical software. The shorts are wrong. Um, these guys are managed well enough to get to the next generation console launch, which is November of 2020, and the new consoles definitely have hard drives. I'm sorry, uh, optical drives, physical drives, meaning that they you're going to pop a disc in if you want to play a game. You don't have to. You can buy digital, but you can also buy physical. That means GameStop is around for the entire next cycle, the next six or seven years. And I actually think that management is really good, all new. They all got there between May and, and July of this past year, of, of 19. Um, and, you know, they're, they're closing stores like Mad Men. Um, they're pulling out of Scandinavia, for example, all four countries. And, you know, they're doing the things they need to do to make sure that they have positive free cash flow. Um, pulling down inventory, and they've got room to do another couple hundred million a year for the next couple of years. And honestly, starting in November 2020, they start generating positive operating cash flow. And when that happens, I think they accelerate their share repurchases. I think the stock goes up. I'm not crazy on this one. I have an $8 target, $2 upside on a $6 stock, but that's still 30-some-odd percent. So I think it's actually a good bet. So GameStop surviving for the next console cycle, which, like you said, is five, six, seven years. Yeah, these guys are trading at two and a half times free cash flow in a Best Buy is trading at something like 12 times. So, you know, I think they're both in the same position, but Best Buy is trading at, you know, a, a multiple of what GameStop's trading at. All right. Uh, Michael, any uh, any final thoughts here before we let you go? Uh, just Yeah, to- yeah. I've got a pretty strong view on Netflix. And, and oh, you yeah, know, I think yeah. it's interesting it's it's you know it got crushed when they blew up last quarter when their domestic subscriber subscriber count declined. Um, I think that it, you know it blew up like literally to 250 or so, and it's up about you know 40 percent since. Um, I think that people are making mistakes on both sides of this trade. Uh, they think that Disney Plus. Some people think Disney Plus is zero sum, and so every Disney Plus subscriber is a lost Netflix subscriber. That is completely wrong. And others think Disney Plus is an indicator of the future, that everybody's going to cut the cord, and they're going to go over the top, and so they're going to subscribe to all the services, and that's completely wrong. So the, the right answer is that early adopters of Disney Plus are rich people who are already Netflix subscribers and adding a you know, $70 a year or $6.99 a month subscription just isn't enough to cause you to quit Netflix. It's the late Disney Plus subscribers and the Peacock subscribers and the new Hulu subscribers and the new HBO Max subscribers that are going to cause a drain on Netflix's addressable market. So I actually think you're going to see Netflix stall in domestic subscriber growth next year. I don't think it's going to decline. And I don't think these new subs are coming from Netflix, but I think the next several million, 20, 30 million subs are coming from Netflix's pool of available new subscribers. And they're going to all slug it out trying to win these subscribers over. So I do think Netflix domestic subscriber growth slows to a crawl to zero next year. We'll see what they say when they guide. But my guess is they're going to guide to wimpy, wimpy, wimpy domestic numbers. On the international side, Netflix is doing great, except that they're cheapening the international offering. They're offering you know, $2.99 a month subscriptions in India, and they're, they're talking about how they're going to expand that to other low-priced countries because they need to do that to keep the international numbers up. And a lot of my competitors are valuing Netflix high, saying they'll grow internationally faster than we think. They're right that they're going to grow faster than we think internationally. It's just going to be money-losing subscribers. So I'm not a fan of the international strategy. And I think the thing that everybody is missing is all these competing services aren't competing so much for subscribers as they are for content. So what you're going to see is Netflix um, content decline by literally two-thirds of viewing hours over the next two years because the Disney and Fox stuff is going to evaporate, the Warner Brothers stuff is going to evaporate, and the Comcast stuff is going to evaporate. And Netflix is going to scramble to make that up by overpaying Shonda Rhimes. She tweeted yesterday she's the highest paid showrunner in history, in the history of the world. And by the way, she's great and she deserves it. But the point is Netflix is vastly overpaying for talent because they're panicking. 
And honestly, I think subscribers are going to notice in the next year to two years that there's nothing on on Netflix, and they're going to start looking elsewhere for their content. So I, I truly think Netflix's content quality is going to decline. Uh, there's a, I have a running debate with a guy named Matthew Ball who's very, very smart on this stuff. He's you a know, great follow on Twitter. He's great. I like the guy. When is good enough good enough? You know, it doesn't have to be good to be good enough. Um, he's right. You know, if Netflix throws a bunch of crap at you and, and you end up watching it, it's good enough to keep you there. I just think if you watch Netflix for Friends or The Office, it, that stuff's gone. And, if you know, you're not going to get, obviously, The Simpsons. You know, you're not going to get all this, this Disney, uh, no Marvel movies, no Pixar stuff. That's going away completely. And I truly think subscribers are going to notice. So I think Netflix gets cut in half. It might take longer than the next year. I have a one-year price target. But I don't think it takes much longer. I think it happens in the next two. So I think this euphoria is way overdone. I think uh, consumers subscribe. I'm sorry. Uh, investors are going to get hammered as soon as this earnings call. And the number of people should watch is the free cash flow guide. They're burning three and a half billion in 2019. It's their sixth consecutive year of worsening free cash burn. And they, they promised that they would burn less cash in 2020. If they guide to a loss or burn of 3.3 billion or 3 billion stocks going to get crushed. The guide to a loss of 2 billion, a burn of 2 billion, the stock will go up. I just don't think they have the guts to do that. They're spending more on content, not less. Their cash subscribers are not growing enough to support their spending habits. And if they guide to a burn of $3 billion, I think this thing's going to drop 100 bucks. Uh, Michael Pachter is an equity analyst at Webbush Securities. You can't say he doesn't do his homework because he does his homework. Michael, uh, thanks for coming out with us this morning. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we'll talk to you again in the new year. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. All right. 8.55 now. Oh, I hear an echo. There we go. 8.55 now. Uh, Joel, where are we at out there? Uh, still hanging out. Up six handles at 31.75. Very, very quiet uh, pre-market session here. I'm not sure what the imbalances are looking at. Oh, a Boeing halt. Is that correct? Yes. Boeing is halted right now. You know what? I was going to talk that someone was talking in the chat about that stock and what I was going to say was, okay, if you want to go long, you have an out, right? It, it takes out that low. But the other thing, then we talked about this last week, is when a stock gets to a level and it doesn't bust out of there. And Dennis, I know you talked about that day it made the low. At, yeah, uh, 320, 320 was important. And, but and, and what I said is like, well, let's go three, you know, last few times we did this, you know, 330, 335, 340. But someone has their foot on the gas. You've had four highs in a row, or four out of five is 335. So that was it. Now you're back under 330. It had the bad news. Support is support that's taken out. But uh, I'd be really nervous if I was along this thing and it was halted. We don't know what the news here is yet. It's just halted news pending. So we are not sure what this news is. It's no probably idea probably to do with the plane again but obviously we don't know yet so once we find that out if we find that in the next three minutes we'll let you know keep an eye on your Brenzinga news feed though because they will be breaking what this news they is satellite I, I, back, I, I, right? i'm thinking this is not going to be good at all this i, I don't think it's going to be good either but i really bad they got the satellite back right the yes. runaway satellite yes they got it okay. back. Uh, i've had a bad run of luck here <laughs> And, yeah. and you know what else? Like just going back to the Friday, you know, and it just shows you how everything was opening higher. You had that bad news, um, you know, from the launch there and on Friday, and the buy and bounce was so big that Boeing opened up a dollar and a half. Did you notice that? See, I get, opened yeah, up on Friday I get, morning. I get these third market prints. Like I, I have different. Yeah, so it, it, yeah, the New York Open. I got short the Boeing Open on Friday as well. It was another one, and it came in so quick. Like it was down three points from that opening price in probably three seconds. It came right in. Um, I covered it a minute or two later. I think I made over three points on it very, very quickly. So, you know, 1% trade. Close on it's low. To sniff out. It yeah, on obviously should have held it. <laughs> no, and uh, I'm not saying it from that perspective, but a strong day, strong market opens at the high, closes at the low. Yeah. I mean, it's not good. But, uh, well, let's hope it's, you know, uh, by Apple said, you know, maybe some CEO. We don't know. 
we can't speculate, but Boeing is. We, we don't know what the news here is right now. We are still waiting. So I don't even think CNBC has mentioned that it's been halted here yet, but it is definitely and the, halted the other here. Thing right is, we don't know how long this halt could, this halt could last like a half hour. I mean, oh, they last sometimes a while. Yeah. We, we first got it. It's waiting for news. So when they halt, you know, there's multiple reasons for halting. Sometimes you had a circuit breaker. There's too much movement. You see those during the day. This is halted news pending. So company has informed there's news coming. Halt the stock. We're going to release some significant news here. And that is what we're waiting for. It was halted on Friday too, right? When they were deciphering that news on the satellite? I don't, I, mm, yeah. I don't think so. I traded it. No? Unless it was very early. No. It was, I don't, I did, it did not halt during the day. No one wanted to trade it, huh? Because I remember watching this in the pre-market, and there was just um, ah, whatever. I, I, I was trading down in the pre-market because that's why I would have went short. So it I traded know. down. Uh, it must have been trading down a couple of points. Like I'm trying to remember, you know, my own thought process. But I wouldn't have been offering it short where it got short if it wasn't trading down in the pre-market. So I think it was trading down most of the pre-market, and then it opened higher because there was so many buyers. Even in Boeing, there was a buyer, and obviously came right in. So it was just a ridiculous amount of buying pressure off the open. That's still why I'm cautious to somewhat today as a day trader, I'm not buying this open here right now because, and this is just day trader talking, not investing. I have my day trader cap on. My day trader cap says that we could potentially, um, you know, have a little double top in place. So I could trade that for a day or two. Maybe we open up near the high here and peel back. There's, a, there's an opportunity here. That's all. That's just my day trader talking though, day trader cap. Yep, going into, I believe we have an abbreviated day tomorrow, correct? That, good question. I, I, usually we close at one. Are yeah. we closing yeah. at one tomorrow, yeah. Spencer? Tomorrow, tomorrow's yeah. a half day. Yeah, but yep. not on the last yep. trading day of the year. So. Okay. Uh, Still waiting for the Boeing news. Uh, doesn't anything look like else, get to it. Anything else there you see? I would just say we just see mixed imbalances here if you want to look at them. GE always to sell. 270,000 shares to sell. It's been going on for years now. I, unbelievable how consistent that is. Alibaba's got a buy imbalance. Alibaba's been a monster. I still own it in my long-term portfolio. 48,000 to buy in Baba here. Johnson Johnson, 71,000 to sell. Verizon, 51,000 to sell. I'm just jumping out, you know, some of the bigger ones sure. that are on my screen here. Um, but they're not, they're nothing like Friday. You're not going to see these big moves, you know, where there's craziness going on like it was Friday. Like on Friday, the, there was millions of shares to buy. I even tweeted something about, you know, like 10 million to buy in this and 5 million to buy in this. And we're talking like, 30,000 shares, 50,000 shares. So it's going to be a, a probably more of a nothing, you know, nothing, uh, not much happening here on the open today. And we're in the holiday trade too, so it's going to be more quiet. But I'll tell you, there could be some fireworks in Boeing, so keep an eye on what that news is going to be. Yeah, I was kind of hoping it'd be out at nine because typically I feel like... Yeah, they halt ahead and then they come out with a press release at nine. Still have not seen no, the press I release. No, I had my eyes glued to the screen here. We're waiting. We're waiting. A lot Nothing. of speculation. Did There's it a lot of press releases that come out at nine. I'm just looking going through yeah. all the PR. It's amazing how many press releases come out at nine o'clock. I'm scrolling through. There had to be 30. Like I'm just looking. You can even look at them on the pro there. There's so many press releases yeah. that come out. And, well, every half hour you get this. Yeah. Basically, yeah. every half hour from 6 a.m., to, to 9 or 9.30, I guess, uh, there is just a barrage of PRs. Some people are speculating it's going to be the CEO that's out. That's, that's what I'm seeing A lot on of Twitter. speculation, nothing. Dougie Cass just no said change at the top, question mark. Uh, they're speculating the CEO has been fired, which, you know, we have been talking about, which would actually probably be good for the stock. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that that would be that. I, I would think the stock rallies significantly if the CEO is out. These are rumors here now, nothing confirmed. But Doug Cass is speculating, and Doug Cass is usually pretty good at guessing. He's speculating it might be changed at the top. Uh, we got other people saying the same thing. This could be CEO fired. We have not seen any confirmation on this here yet. I think if the CEO is fired, just speculation, I think the stock moves significantly higher if the CEO is fired, if well, that's the news. Well, what I can guarantee is as soon as our show ends, the news will, <laughs> yeah, the news will come out. We're trying back. to hold on. We're trying to be honest <laughs> over here. We're like, come on, give me the press release. I'm looking right at the PR uh, newswire and the Benzinger Pro. Do you have a buy uh, balance in AT&T? No, no one really. Yeah. Hey, I give me the opening, buy, the opening imbalance in Boeing. It's 1300 to buy right now, so it's okay. absolutely nothing. We and have I, I just, shares, it's nothing. I just want to say, and this is not filler, that we got great attendance today here on the holiday coming in. I thought people would be out. They were here for the Lily intro. For the Lily intro and the Christmas shopping so. and stuff. But as always, money never sleeps here. And uh, I'm, glad you all, <laughs> I'm glad you all 
came in today. Yep. Uh, definitely going to be a quieter week uh, on, on the news front. So that'll be it for our show. I want to thank our guests, Michael Pachter and Victor Anthony. As Joel said, thanks to all of you in our chats and both of them, the premarket.benzinga.com chat and the chat on youtube.com slash Benzinga TV. Catch our podcast on any podcast platform or Rewatch our show on Benzinga's YouTube channel. That is youtube.com slash Benzinga TV. Once more, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes only and not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.